1: Podcasts. It's your post-draft edition of It's Always Game Day in Buffalo. Sal Capaccio, Matt Bove, welcome in. It was a long weekend, and I would not never complain about it, that's for sure. We love our jobs. We love being down there. We love being a part of the action. But the one thing I'm going to complain about a little bit is <laughs> we got our expectations up that we we're going to be done, and Brandon is going to be talking to us. And then that darn GM just kept trading down and made it all kind of last even longer, Matt. But that's okay. We got through it and it was a long weekend, but a fun one.
0: Yeah. I mean, we went into it thinking there was going to be six picks. Then we thought there was going to be five picks because he moved up and things looked great. We went into Saturday thinking, wow, there's only going to be two picks that the bills make. This should be a pretty quick and easy day for us. And then he traded back three separate times and they ended up having two seventh round picks. So I do think from a draft strategy standpoint, awesome idea get ammunition for next year's draft, Yeah. add more picks. But from a, it was a long weekend, that one kind of stung. Because legitimately, those three trades back probably kept us at the facility for three more hours.
1: But now it is complete. And they did walk away with a total of six picks, just like they had when they went in. And as Mm -hmm. you said, trading for next year, I really liked the fact they did that. We'll talk about that a little bit here on It's Always Game Day in Buffalo. We thank you for joining us, and you can always download, subscribe. It's not just the audio; it's the video. Go to Sal Sports on YouTube, but we always have it right there for you as soon as we can on the YouTube, on the uh, excuse me, iTunes or Spotify feed, and of course the Odyssey app. So, thanks a lot for coming aboard, especially a lot of new listeners. I know we have a lot of them after our Mike North podcast. Yeah. We'll talk a little bit about the schedule maybe towards the end of this thing. All right, so let's just get into the draft. Let's look back, Matt. What are your general overall impressions? of the draft, anything that stood out to you just overall about the Buffalo Bills 2023 draft and draft class?
0: Listen, Brandon Bean, the Bills GM, said after the draft that it just kind of fell this way. It was not an intentional idea to go after offensive weapons. But that being said, it's hard not to ignore that they used their biggest picks, their most important picks, on guys on offense to protect Josh Allen and to give him another threat in the passing game. So I really liked that because I thought that going into it, Offense needed to be the focus. Now, I don't know if it was intentional. Brandon says that it wasn't, but I like that it worked out that way because we spent a lot of time talking about wide receivers and kudos to you, credit where it's deserved. You were the first person that I heard to bring up the tight end idea. That was months ago. And then they ended up following through with it, getting what many believed to be was the best tight end in the entire class with Dalton Kincaid. So I know it's been a lot of people have kind of made fun of the don't think of him as a tight end, think of him as a weapon whole idea even though he is a tight end, but I just think he's makes the Bill's offense better. I think he is somebody who they can utilize in the passing game with a skill set that they haven't had. And Osiris Torrance, what a luxury pick to be able to take a guy who you don't need to immediately have come step in right away. But if he wins a job, then that means there's probably a really good competition happening in training camp. And you're going to need some guys, especially on your, your interior offensive line with you know, the status of Mitch Morris uncertain down the road. Like, you know, there's a chance Ryan Bates could move over and play center at some point, And then you can have Torrance go in and play guard. And then you still feel really comfortable about your starting five. So I, I just really liked the focus on the offensive side of the ball.
1: Yeah, that was one takeaway from me as well. We'll get into those specific picks as well. But I think the general theme of this has been what it's been all offseason. So, Matt, let's take a look at this offseason. It's pretty wild, actually, when you think about it. I went and I tweeted out, actually, at Cell Sports, the number of additions this offseason on the offensive side and the number of additions on the defensive side. When I say additions, I mean somebody who was not on the Bills roster, whether it active roster or practice squad at the end of the season, who is now on the roster, new faces. Because some guys were on the practice squad. They signed futures contracts. Those aren't additions. Those are guys that are with the organization. All right, let me run through. Offense one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven. This is after the draft, is not counting UDFAs, undrafted free agents that we know are starting to sign. Eleven of them got a quarterback, a running back, a tight end, three wide receivers, and five offensive linemen, including four straight guards and one that can play guard as well. On the defensive side, Matthew Bove, yeah, how many players have the bills added this offseason since? The end of last season. I'm not talking even when free agency started. Since the end of last season, new additions, new faces to this defense. Do you know? One. Four total. Four.
0: So I can think of Taylor Rapp. That's one. AJ Wait. Klein does not count.
1: No. No, no. I'm Jordan. talking dra- drafted players, too.
0: Oh, okay. Yeah. So, I mean, the to players the total from the... Of four. So, Alex Austin.
1: Yep. Uh... The guy, dra- William Williams, Williams, Williams right? from this weekend. And then the exactly. other one was a guy named Zane Anderson. They signed right after the season who was on the chiefs practice squad. Didn't get a futures deal. That was it. He wasn't Dude. even in free agency. Didn't get that far. So the point I'm making is this, you're right. Counting draft picks, 11 new additions on the offensive side. Yeah. Four new additions on the defensive side. This has been a theme all off season to bring in more offense, to protect yeah. Josh Allen, to give him more weapons. And the Bills told us this. If you listen closely, they told us this. They talked a lot about those specific areas and wanting to make sure they improve. If you go back to the Combine, you go back to free agency, all these press conferences, places we talked to Brandon Bean, we talked to Sean McDermott. Sean McDermott even said at one point, Josh was maybe getting a little bit too much pressure up the middle, had to release the ball a little too quick. They have to get guys that can you know, be open for him and available to him then. They have to protect him a little more. He's taking too many hits. They don't want him to take so many hits. They talked about this, and here we are, 11 offensive additions. Only four in defense, which is surprising to me, considering they did lose Tremaine. You do have a new play caller, but I'm not surprised at all, thinking back to the things that they said to us back in the offseason, that they have severely... And seriously, I should say, attack the offensive side of the football.
0: Well, I know that sometimes the last game of the year gets overblown because all of your mistakes get magnified. But they scored 10 points in that game against a Bengals defense. That's good, but certainly not like one of the best defensive units in the NFL. And it was kind of a slow burn. It felt like I don't want to say the wheels fell off. But it never really felt like after the beginning of the season, the offense was clicking to the level it was against the Rams and against the Titans. Then you go to Miami and you lose a game. Then you go to the Ravens and you squeak out a game. You squeak out a win against the Chiefs, even though you didn't have an unbelievable day offensively. Yeah, there was the Steelers game mixed in there where they had the offensive explosion. But I just remember, I specifically remember sitting there in Detroit for the Browns game and the Bills fell behind in that game. And you're watching the offense and you're just like, man, these guys just don't look right. Like they don't look like they're in sync. They don't look like they can continuously be the threat that they were in years past. And I even remember having the conversation. What is Dorsey's outlook? Like would they fire him? Halfway through his first season on the job, obviously that didn't happen. But then the next week, we went back to Detroit again, and the offense kind of sucked again in that Thanksgiving game until the absolute end of the game when Josh threw that dart to Stefan Diggs and they went on the last second kick. And then that kind of continued for a while. There were some good games mixed in. I think part of that was also the Josh Allen injury, but it felt like the offense got stale, it got predictable, and they needed to inject talent on the line and at their playmaking positions. And that's what they've made an effort to do. Now, none of them have been massive splashes, but that's just the reality of the situation because they didn't have a ton of money to go out there and spend. If this team had more money, I think they would have added Odell Beckham. I think they would have tried to get DeAndre Hopkins or would be more actively pursuing DeAndre Hopkins, but they don't. So then they went with guys like Deontay Hardy and Trent Sherfield, and using a first-round pick on Dalton Kincaid because those are the things that they can afford. And I think this is going to be a process. I think we saw it this year, but I also don't think this is going to be like the one-year outlier and they're just going to put a Band-Aid on it and say, okay, the offense is fixed. I think this is going to be an effort moving forward because they know their best chance of winning is by Josh Allen taking them to the Super Bowl and winning a Super Bowl. So you might as well surround him with as much talent as possible.
1: There was another theme that came out of it for me. I'll get to that in a second. I want to touch on your Dorsey point, which is really interesting because there was no chance they were going to do that halfway through the season, but I get it. I mean, there were a lot of critics, right? I mean, the the offense started to sputter a little bit and Brandon Bean even said that in his post-draft presser, which was, you know, it didn't seem like they were in sync at times, whether it was the line or Josh or he didn't want to point fingers, right? But he just said they weren't in sync. I think this draft, going back to what I said and what you said as well about the offensive theme, this draft reads to me like Ken Dorsey gave Brandon Bean a shopping list, right? Mm -hmm. He said, Hey, this is what I need. I really want, but I'm going to go even back further. I think Ken Dorsey wanted this, the the tight end piece of it last year. I think Mm -hmm. that's why they signed OJ Howard. I think Ken Dorsey wanted to do this type of thing. He wanted to have a bigger type of slot receiver, a guy that could be an outlet in the slot. They could run 12 personnel more than anything, even that a guy that could run 12 personnel with to put defenses in a bind. I went back, Matt and look, Ken Dorsey, you're a young guy, Matt. You might not remember this. But Ken Dorsey was the quarterback of maybe the greatest college football team ever, offense at least, until LSU came along just a few Ooh, years ago. I think yeah. I know what you're going to say. But I'm pr- I'm proud of myself, actually. All right. And Ken Dorsey, in four years of Miami, he actually left Miami as the winningest college football quarterback ever. But he really was. He was the quarterback of some of the greatest offenses and teams we've ever seen. And he wasn't a great college port- quarterback. He was a really good one. But what made him a great quarterback, what made him a winning quarterback was he utilized all of those offensive weapons. And in the four years he was the quarterback at the University of Miami, his tight end was his leading receiver, third in receptions, second in receptions, and first twice, including Jeremy Shockey, Bubba Franks, and Kellen Winslow Jr. And then when we talked to him last year when he got the job, I said, what did you learn about being the quarterback of those teams with those weapons? And he said, I learned to give the ball to those weapons, find them. It doesn't matter. Just get them the ball in space. You have to utilize those guys. I think Ken Dorsey has always wanted to do this, but now it's on him to make it work. But to me, this right re- reads like a shopping list he gave to Brandon B. All
0: right. Let's start with the Dalton Kincaid thing and feed off of that, because I feel like the two most common criticisms I have heard of the pick. Actually, I'm going to say the three most common criticisms I have heard of the pick are one. This was not a need. Okay. For me. If that's your opinion, totally respect it. Throw that out the window because they don't care about needs. They're not drafting for their biggest needs. They're drafting for their favorite football players. And I know that sounds cliche, but I genuinely think it's true. Two, Dawson Knox contract. A lot of people have said, why would you draft a tight end after just signing Dawson Knox contract? You can look at that specific point in two ways. One, I wonder if they regret giving the contract that they did when they did it. But at the same time, they love Dawson. Josh loves Dawson. He's still a really good player and can play a very important role on this team. And then the sidebar to that is, hey, now you've got Dawson Knox making a bunch of money, but you also have a second tight end who's going to be very cost controlled for basically the exact same timeframe. That's right. So it makes a little bit of sense there. And then the third and final point is the one that I've said seen so many times. They don't even use the tight ends they have now. Why would they go out and get somebody else? And the answer to that is, they don't use the tight ends now because they might not have the skill set that they're looking for to utilize them, like you said, in what Ken Dorsey, Ken Dorsey is envisioning this offense could ultimately look like. I think there's going to be times when we see both of them on the field at the same time. Yes. I think there's going to be things that they can do to switch things up to really keep defenses on their toes. And I know Dalton Kincaid isn't this great blocker, but he's going to be okay. Like, it's not like you, he can't block. You're just going to have to be a little bit more creative with it. I love that this forces the Bills to change their identity a little bit. Because like I said, I thought they got stale. And I think that that's an added layer to this. Now it's on the coaching staff. It's kind of like what we talked about with McDermott. Like, listen, you're calling the shots on defense now. It's kind of on you. For the Bills now on offense, you kind of went all in on offense this offseason. Now it's on the players and the coaches. And the coaches are going to be on a hotter seat than the players are.
1: You did a really good job to lay out the whole Dawson Knox piece of it and contracts and throwing the ball to tight ends. I'm going to go back to the need piece real quick, which is, did they need a tight end? I put air quotes here for all those listeners. We're also streaming, right? And we're live, not live. We're recorded. We're on YouTube. You get you get a video piece of this, but I'm doing the air quotes thing for those who don't see it. Um, did they need a tight end? No, they have a tight end. They have a really good tight end. His name is Dawson Knox, but what they needed was another pass catcher to create mismatches in the middle of the field. So, yes, it was a need. It just wasn't a need in a traditional tight end role. That's, I think, where the confusion comes from when people say, don't think of him as a tight end, think of him as a weapon. I agree with that. That's exactly what he is. But the Bills say he's a tight end. But they're going to go, they call it 11 and a half personnel because he's not quite the blocker. And to be honest with you, I don't think they care about his blocking at this point. They're going to train him to be a blocker. He's going to be better at that as he goes on. He's going to be in their strength and conditioning program. But he is going to be a big slot receiver. That's what he's going to be. I thought it was really interesting when Brandon Bean himself basically said he's Cole Beasley, but in a tight end's body, right? I mean, Cole Beasley is 5'8", 175. This guy is 6'3", 6'4", 240. I mean, think about all the things he can do in the mismatches he can have in the slot. They needed, not a tight end, they needed a guy like that.
0: I wonder, we will never know the answer to this question. literally we'll never know. I wonder what they would have done if one of the receivers was still on the board of the big four. I think Quentin Johnson, actually I'm going to take him out of it. I don't know if I think they would have still taken Dalton Kincaid over Quentin Johnson, but I wonder if Zay flowers or Jordan Addison were still there, what they would have done because they traded up to get Dalton Kincaid. It just happened to happen after the run on receivers went like, we don't know if they were trying to get up to 21, 22 to get one of those receivers. But I wonder if this was just go into it, we're going to try and take an offensive playmaker and we're going to adjust our identity accordingly, or if it was, we want a tight end. But based off of all of the things that they said, like Michael Mayer was a guy that we talked about on the podcast a little bit. It does not feel like they were in the business of looking for a player like Michael Mayer. It looked like they were in on somebody who could really be a difference maker offensively, That's not like what they had. Like Michael Mayer is a really good player and a really good prospect, but he's closer to Dawson Knox. than Dalton Kincaid is to Dawson Knox.
1: He's not, he's a guy who does a lot of things. Well, nothing great. Dalton Kincaid catches great. And I Mm -hmm. mean, that's what he does. He's a, he might be the best pass catcher, not even best pass catching tight end, best, best pass catcher, including wide receivers in this entire class. And he's going to play this year, which brings me to my other theme about this draft.